I always feel like part of our success is the fact that I'm the pickiest client you'll ever meet, but I'm also a stylist. So I understand how they feel and I understand how the client feels. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. Founders, actors, athletes, chefs, comedians, musicians. Bottom line, these are women who win. So how are they doing it? We're taking you way beyond the bios, looking at their struggles, triumphs, risks, biggest mistakes, and some of the worst advice they've heard along the way. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Today's guest says she's not selling a product, she's selling confidence. She didn't start out to build a $100 million business. The hairdresser and mom of two began her career in top hair salons in New York and Los Angeles, and on a break from work to care for her family, she had an idea. After years of hunting for a great blowout for her own extremely curly hair, she thought, why not offer in-home blowout services to friends and friends of friends and make a little extra on the side? Well, she tooled around and became so popular driving around in her Nissan Xterra that she could barely meet the demands of all the people who wanted her services. So she decided to take a leap and a loan and opened her first brick-and-mortar dry bar location in 2010 in Brentwood. And now with the help of her brother and husband, founder Ali Webb has grown dry bar into a thriving business with more than 65 salons across the U.S. and Canada and recently released her first book, The Dry Bar guide to good hair for all. Allie, welcome. Thank you. That's such a great recap. Well, I wanted to just make sure we got a little bit of the story, but I know we're going to get a ton of the story from you. I want to know, how did this all begin? Well, it really all started back when I was, you know, born and had curly hair. <laughs> and I used to, as a kid, I used to beg my mom to blow out my hair, like when I was young, like seven, eight years old. And I think that that's, I mean, really when when the seed was probably planted and I just spent like a lifetime struggling with my hair and on the, you know, as a little girl, I couldn't articulate why I felt good when my hair was blown out, but I loved having my hair straight because I hated my curly, frizzy hair. And, you know, fast forward to many years later and deciding to go to beauty school and being a little bit lost after high school and figuring out what I wanted to do with my life when I discovered hair and beauty school. I was like, that was it for me. And I loved it so much. All these years later and working in the business for so long, I just, you know, I I realized while operating my mobile blow dry business that there really was a hole in the marketplace. Like there was nowhere for women to go for a great blowout and for at a great price in a beautiful space, you know, where you could afford it and you could do this all the time. And And this was many years ago when, by the way, the mobile blowout businesses, they weren't everywhere. Yeah, no, and and nothing like dry bar existed. You were going to your high-end salon and overpaying, or you were going to a discount chain and putting on big glasses and getting out of there as soon as you can. At least that's what my clients were telling me in my mobile business. And there was just really this opportunity, which I really thought it would just be one shop. I'd open I Brentwood was our first location. I got my brother, like you mentioned, my brother, Michael, to lend me the money to open the first place. My husband. What was that conversation like? <laughs> well, we had actually worked together in a previous life when I thought I wanted to do something in fashion. We were, both worked for Nicole Miller here in the city, actually. And then when I decided, well, that was not the best experience, us working we worked for Nicole Miller, then we moved to South, back to South Florida where we grew up to open a couple of Nicole Miller boutiques. And that wasn't it for me. And we just weren't, it wasn't working. And we were, you know, we just weren't happy. And so that's when I really decided to go to beauty school. But anyways, when I 
when I when he saw the success of my little mobile business and I wanted to turn into a brick and mortar, he thought, even though he's bald and didn't understand <laughs> blowouts, he he understood that everything I was telling him that women feel great when their hair looks great and that I think at least my I could turn this mobile blow dry business into a brick and mortar and that was it that was that that was the most we were thinking was that we we could turn this into you know one shop and I could do all the clients that I was running around town doing and I'd have this little business and that would be my livelihood and I'd pick up my kids from school and none of us none of us could have seen the opportunity that was ahead of us and and working and it was actually good that my brother and I had worked together previously because we almost killed each other we knew what buttons not to push and all of that to work together again. You hear from so many people who have gone out and started something like you. Ignorance is kind of bliss in some totally. ways. Like if you knew how hard it was going to be, you might not have actually started yeah, in the first it's place. Yeah, so much work. And I, my parents had their own business. And that Michael and I grew up in a family where we just saw our parents back, bend over backwards for clients. So we we had an idea at least from watching our parents and having that entrepreneurial blood, like how much work it takes. But you're right. It's it's tremendous. And you don't ever get to shut it off and it doesn't ever stop. And it's it's a lot. And I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's amazing what's happened. But we certainly didn't. We underestimated, I think, the opportunity that was there. And then, you know, my brother was still operating. He had his own real estate marketing company. My husband was working in an advertising job. And Within no time at all, they quit their other jobs, and this was like full time. We were going to really go for this. And it couldn't be a part time thing no. and be successful. I mean, I remember those early days in Brentwood and women walking in and from everywhere, from all over, from Beverly Hills, from Santa Monica, and they were like, "When are we getting our own shop?" You know, so there was this like need and this this you know want for 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 dry bars everywhere, and that's when I went to my brother and said. We've got to open more stores. Like this, we're so busy. I mean, it was it was crazy. It was really, it was those early days were unbelievable. What were some of the hardest lessons you had to learn in those early days? Well, we we one of the big things that that comes up a lot is that we don't have phones in the shop. That you can't actually call the shop. We have a call center because what I learned very early was. And it was such a disaster because the blow dryers are going, the music's loud, people are walking in, at the, and so you have people at the front desk, and then people are checking out. And so it was just loud on every front. And to give a customer standing in front of me a good experience, but then to try to answer the phone and make an appointment and have that be a good experience was just not going to work. I mean, we stopped. I think at some point we were like, just don't answer the phone, let a good voicemail, we'll call everybody back because we were going to ruin the experience for the person that was standing in front of me. So we realized very early that we needed to – have other people in a quiet, controlled environment answering the phones. So, you know, there's lots of little things like that that you learn along the way. We've really listened to our clients too about what they like and what they don't like. But what's the number one thing they don't like? Well, probably that they can't call the shop. <laughs> That's a big thing. You know, I mean, I think there's there's not a lot that stands out. I mean, certainly we make mistakes and we mess up. You just tapped wood right there. I just, just knocked wood. <laughs> yeah, because there's there's I feel like for the most part, I feel like we've done a lot of things right and we've do, we try really hard to do right by our clients. We're very straightforward. You know, if we if there's something going on or we mess something up, we just are pretty honest and straightforward about it like we're sorry and and if you come in and you don't have great customer service or your hair doesn't look the way you want it to look, we want to get you back in and we want to fix it and make it right for you and we work really hard to to do that and and I think that people respect that 
you know, that feeling. And I've talked to so many clients who, you know, something happened, they had a bad experience, but we followed up immediately and we, we fixed it for them. And then that's, then you get that kind of loyalty where they're, they're rooting for you and they, they know that you care. And I think that, that, that care and level of respect and, and feeling heard from a client is, is incredible, especially today. I think that businesses really lack that, that we, so we really try to, you know, it's like treat others the way you want to be treated. That's kind of part of our motto. It's so important, obviously. I mean, people talk a lot about that. Few businesses actually yeah. live up to that standard. Yeah. I think about Zappos. Their whole thing was when they started, people said, why are you starting a shoe delivery business? Yeah. I mean, I could buy shoes anywhere on the internet. Right. Their whole thing was best customer service. Yeah. Obviously, the Making shoes, you could buy them anywhere. Mm-hmm. But if you're the best and you offer the best customer service, that's another area that I, I wanted to talk to you about because I'm sure in your business, there's all this pressure to get into other areas. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you do such a great blow dry. Why aren't you doing cuts and color? Mm-hmm. And you have always stood by this idea of do one thing and do it really well. That's right. I mean, th- we have always, I have always felt like I, you know, what is it? Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours makes you an expert at something. That's that's how I feel. I feel like I have spent a lifetime really perfecting the blow up. That's why I wrote a book about it. I mean, there's that is to me what I'm really good at. And I've I've always felt like if we added manicures or lashes or other services, while I understand the need and we're all so busy and the efficiency piece of it, I think that it's hard to be really great at a lot of things. But it's you know, it's much easier to be good at one thing. And I think that that hair is the is the thing I really know and I'm really passionate about that I think it would just get very convoluted if we added other services. So we've, yeah, we've always resisted. Which I believe has to be difficult, especially when you're now in this $100 million yeah. sales range where investors are like, hey, oh, yeah. Dry Bar's a great oh, brand. Our, our investors are always saying like, why don't, why don't you do this? And why so do how that? do you but shut that down? I mean, they do understand. I mean, we've been really fortunate in our investors and Castanea out of Boston and Rourke, they, they we were very, very picky about who we partnered with. And we wanted partners that weren't just writing a check, investors that were going to help us and believed in our vision. And they they knew up front that we were very, very, you know, bullish about this one thing that we're doing and doing really well. But the the beauty of it is that there is there is still a lot of opportunity within the hair world. And our building out the product line has been such a labor of love for me. And that is, there's a million different types of hair out there. So there's so many things you can do with product, which I really love that process of, of developing the product. And I have 3000 stylists, so I'm able to test things all day long. And it's, it's like this amazing little lab that we have. And so there's so much room for the company to grow within this blowout space. And all of our products are crafted for the perfect blowout, not for a lot of other things. And so we, we have our little niche and and again, that's why I was so excited to write the book because it's it's really that deep deep dive into how to do great hair and what products you need and why your hair does this and why your hair does that and and that's what we stay very focused on. I, I was thinking about the fact that you know getting into the physical products that is not an area where anyone in business should tread lightly. It's cost yeah. intensive. Uh, it takes a lot of time. Right. How did you make the decision it's time to make this leap and go from a real service business to also products? Well, it wasn't something I thought about initially, but after we had a couple of stores open and I was I found myself like pulling a lot of different products from different lines and there's a lot of great brands out there, but it just felt 
messy and it didn't they didn't all work together well and it was too heavy and and I started asking my stylist like what's your favorite product and why do you love this product and in, inevitably it was like well I love this product but I wish it did this and I love that product but I wish it did that and I thought gosh what a great opportunity to take all that feedback plus my own personal feedback of doing hair for 20 years and and develop a product line that is exactly what we need and then I, I can send it out to my stylist and ask them what they think and they're very very honest about what they think so it's it was it's a really great process and what's funny is now I mean now we have a head of product and we have a whole big huge product team and supply chain and all the stuff that we didn't have in the beginning when it was me and Cameron my husband and I developing the product and we were like you know we want he wanted custom packaging and of course I we went with like the best labs and you know <laughs> until recently our margins were were not great because we didn't we weren't, you know, like you said earlier, ignorance is bliss. And we were just like, we want the best product out there. We didn't really pay attention to how much it was going to cost us in the long run, which now you have fixed. But, you know, you have to shoot for the moon and you get one one chance to make that first impression. And I was so nervous to put my name on a product line and put it out there with, you know, without people loving it. But, but it's done really well. And we launched in Sephora. We're in uh, Ulta now as well and Nordstrom and we're looking at international expansion with the product so how big of a deal was it to be in Sephora it was pretty crazy I and mean, they did a 75 door test with us in the beginning and, and they were so great it was a lot of like in the kitchen meetings where we, before we even launched the line we sat down with their team and showed them everything that we were working on and they gave us a lot of very honest feedback like don't do that do this this is not gonna work people don't understand that and and you know I speak hair so which has also been an interesting side note about my book is that I, I co-wrote it with someone who isn't a hairstylist who doesn't speak hair. And so it's the same thing with the book and with product. It's like you, it has to make sense to consumers. And, and they really had, Sephora really had such incredible insight on what works and what doesn't work. So they gave us so much advice early on. And we did a test in 75 doors and it just blew away what we had hoped. And and, you know, it's just been that kind of trend ever since. So I think they're really working, pulling out more of their hair and they're doing a lot more with hair, which is great. And so it's been a great partnership. What is the secret to getting into Sephora? I think there's a lot of people in the business who would <laughs> Gosh, love to know. I don't know what the secret is. Did you, did you, were you guys going after them for a long time, sending them product you know, and I everything? Think that's, that's where I think networking and knowing the right people does help. I mean, when we, as I mentioned, Castanea is our private equity um, partner and, Janet Gerwich is who's the former CEO and founder of Laura Mercier Cosmetics, which of course you've heard of. She was a partner in Castanea, and when she, when we heard she was, I was very excited because I knew that like gosh, if anybody could help me, Janet can, and she did, and she introduced me to all the best labs, and she really opened up a lot of doors. She was also very friendly because of her past relationship with Sephora with David Soltiana, who used to be the CEO. This Sephora. is like your own personal version of Shark Tank. You're <laughs> deciding which shark to go with based on what connections they have to the well, world. Well, it was incredibly helpful, and, and it definitely it definitely swayed our decision. We loved Castaneda. We loved those guys. They were great. But Janet was definitely a bonus with deciding, you're right, who to take money from. And we didn't want to just take a check. We wanted a really good partner. So Janet really opened a lot of doors and knew the right people to talk to. And we were a, really a baby brand when we launched in Sephora. I think what, what Sephora liked about us was that – we were new and disruptive, and it was just something new in the hair category that had a very specific focus. And on, again, for us, that was just blowouts. And so there wasn't, 
there's they had other brands and they have other great brands but they they like newness and something fresh with with a different angle and I think that I think maybe that's the secret to Sephora is coming in and I have some friends who are working on different skincare lines and different things now and and I think that is having a point of difference I think is probably part of the secret mm-hmm. right because there's just so much out there now you yeah, really do have to so define saturated. yourself differently and we're bright and yellow and happy and there really isn't any other hair product line quite like ours and we have tools and products so it worked so much about your business there it's it's all in the details and yes. you mentioned the color being yes. yellow yes. also a lot of people talk about the fact no mirrors well behind you right yes so what was the when you went into the actual like physical look and feel of everything what was the thinking well, a, a lot of insights came from my mobile business because at my mobile blow dry business, I was doing my clients' hair like in their living room. So rarely was I going into people's personal bathrooms. So there was not really a, a mirror wasn't in the equation. And what I realized is, first of all, it was nice for me as a stylist to get their hair exactly how I wanted it before they could nitpick it or say, why are you doing that or why are you doing that? And what would happen is they would, when I was done, they would run into their bathroom or find a mirror and I'd hear this like, oh my God like squeal of delight and they loved it <laughs> and it was this crazy great moment and I, I when we started working with our architect I was like I really want to recreate that how do we do that and I knew I wanted it to be a bar and so that that's kind of how it all evolved and and with in terms of like the way it looks and feels it was I wanted it to feel very clean and, and have these pops of yellow and our architect was just Josh Heitler who actually is here in the city he was amazing and kind of protected us from ourselves because of course we were like we want it to be really modern but shabby chic and French and you know he just really <laughs> nailed it and didn't made sure we didn't make a mistake so it's been a really fun process what have been the big setbacks along the way that you've had to think through and overcome I think the biggest setbacks are the balancing of it and you know I have two two little kids and this was supposed to be your yeah, your part-time like it, hustle. Right. I mean, it really turned my life upside down in a great way and I'm definitely not complaining, but it was it's it was like a major major life shift because I went from being a stay-at-home mom to like you said, thinking I was going to pick up be able to pick up my kids from school to like doing so much and now I'm traveling so much and and it's like you can't let that opportunity pass. It doesn't come along every day, so you had to keep going and so I think that for me personally, figuring out that balance is is really hard and it's still really hard. It's kind of, kind of a constant battle. And I think as a professionally, as a company, the bigger challenge now comes in having gone from being involved in every single decision that was made to bringing on a professional CEO and, and building out our support center, which is almost 100 people now who are running the company. And it's just hard to give up that like you make every decision but but in some ways it's great because it's just so daunting but in other ways it's like oh you know you're like this is my baby and I want to control everything but you know we've we've hired some really smart people and people who know what they're doing and people who have experience scaling a business I mean my brother and my husband and I don't I mean we're entrepreneurs we had a great idea we know how you want to execute it and we're still highly involved in everything that happens but you need somebody who can like I mean, you need an HR department when you have three thousand stylists working for you. So it's, it's uh, it, it's hard to pull back and and where to flex and not to flex. So I think that's kind of a daily 
struggle. Just <laughs> trying to figure it out day by day. Yep. I picture, I would imagine that you started out wanting the perfect blowout and finding that no one could do it for you and you could do it for yourself. So That's that true. had to be difficult too in the early stages when you were first hiring stylists yes. to come in because you had very high standards. Yeah. I mean, I the way in the early days when we were before Brent would open, I used to have stylists come to my house and blow out my hair all the time. And that's how I hired people was based on like the book they did for me. But I did. I did. And I do have high standards. I, I always feel like part of our success is the fact that I'm the pickiest client you'll ever meet. But I'm also a stylist. So I understand how they feel. And I understand how the client feels. So I think that's a unique point of difference that we have. But yeah, it's uh, I'm a tough customer <laughs> and I do have very high standards and I have now I'm so lucky that I have this great team and we have educators all across the country in every shop that are training our stylists and who are on the floor watching our stylists and they're, if, they're, if there's something that isn't going well, we can pull a stylist out and do more retraining and it's there's a ton of resources behind training our stylists and making sure that it, everything is the way it should be and it's funny because in the early days, I didn't know if there'd be enough stylists out there like me who loved the blowout. Who, I, when I used to cut hair, I couldn't wait to get through the haircut to do the blowout because that's when you could really like make the hair great. And I didn't know if there'd be enough stylists out there that would also be excited to do that. But luckily, there are, and there and there continues to be. And I think stylists like really love working at Drybar because they're a part of something, and they love you know being able to not only do blowouts but also meet clients through dry bar and turn them into cut and color clients so it's another it's a great avenue for stylists new stylists old stylists and everybody in between so you know when you get a blowout and for for my job we have people yeah, at you ABC have great News hair. Who, well thank you it's not my doing it's all their work <laughs> but when there is something that you want to change, it's really hard for most people to say, well, you could Speak do this. Up. Exactly. And not only there's the first, there's the insecurity of do I actually want to say something? And then second of all, there's the language barrier, yeah. like speaking the language of hairdresser and hairstylist. Huh. Yeah. They're not words that you necessarily Well, I know. mean, that's part of why I don't know if you've seen our lookbooks, but our lookbook, it gives you like, you know, for our Cosmo, which is, so which smart. is lots of curls. Like we show you it on four different types of hair so that you can say, I want a Cosmo, but I kind of want it to look like this, but then I want the front to look like this or whatever. And so everything is by picture. So you get a good sense of you know, what you want and you can communicate it without having to say, because you're right. If you come in and say, I want my hair blown out straight. That could be six different things. It's like a Manhattan where it's six straight or do you want to straight a little bit of volume and do you want to like a flip at the end? Like there are so many things that can you can interpret it. But I definitely urge people to speak up and say if there's something they don't like. What's your favorite style in the lookbook? Probably the Mai Tai. I'm very into messy, beachy and textured hair. Did you blow out your own hair today? I did actually because I was in Philly doing It QVC. looks great. Thank you. I was... Uh, I mean, I, I actually enjoy the process of blow drying my hair. I, I go into dry bar all the time. And it's funny because I, in that, like clockwork, when I do go to dry bar and get a blowout, because I can, I can and, and sometimes for time purposes, do it myself. But I sit there and I'm like, I get, I get sucked into the movie and I'm, or I'm working and I'm like, God, this is great. You know, <laughs> I'm always like, I love it here. No wonder why women love this. You know? <laughs> but I, but I do, I do also enjoy the process of, of blow drying my own hair. I find it very like, really? I do. What? But I think that's, be, I think, I think that's why I do what I do. But I think it's, I think, I don't know. I, I think it's like, it's like an artist, like when you're creating something. That's how I kind of feel, I think, about doing hair when I'm, when I'm doing somebody else's hair or when I'm doing my own hair. I, I like the process. What's your advice to the stylists out there who are trying to break through? 
hard work and and don't be afraid of a little hard work. I think for me, I when when I was like in my early 20s and and starting out in the industry and working and learning and trying to learn as much as I could, I I I I tried to soak everything in and was made myself always available to other stylists. I mean, I was an assistant for so many years before before you know, I started to get on the floor and have my own clients, and I think that was such an important time. At the time, you can't really see it because you're kind of annoyed and you're not making any money and you're kind of doing the grunt work and you're sweeping floors and washing hair, and that feels like the kind of stuff you don't want to do. But I think it's so important to do all that stuff, and it builds character in you, and it teaches you how to be humble, and it teaches you if you pay attention. There's so much to learn, and I worked in a lot of salons and, and, and experienced that and experienced just watching other people and, and as stylists we're such visual people that there's so much you can pick up on if you pay attention and and I think being open to feedback is I mean I something I try to tell myself all the time that you just have to see things through somebody else's eyes sometimes how do you find employees who are open to feedback well it's challenging and and and, and not everybody is cut out to work at driver I mean we've had some some amazing stylists who just have not amazing attitudes and there, you know, Drybar is a very family. That's like kind of our thing is that it's very family environment. So, if you come in and you don't, you know, you don't aren't okay with like washing your own clients' hair, like it's just not the place for you. And we want we want our clients to go through an entire experience with one person and and really connect with that person. And and that means like hanging their bag and just like it, I always feel like when women come in, this is like their forty five minutes of peace and heaven and they should be pampered and 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 not all stylists subscribe to that and that doesn't work for them and that's fine I mean there's so much there's so much to do in this world of hair but for us we we first and foremost look for really nice people who have who share our love of great customer service and then good stylists and then we can you know we do so much training we can turn you into a great stylist I'm sure you've received lots of advice along the way. Yes. Some of it good, some of it not so good. Yeah. What's the worst advice? I don't know. I mean, I think there's been a lot of different things that have come from a lot of people. I, I guess the I guess the biggest thing that stands out is 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 the advice of, oh, you should really do this too, or you could really, you know, you guys could make, you should sell lipstick, or you should do spray tanning, or you, I think that that's the thing that probably comes up the most. Like, why don't you do this? And I always feel like, you know, you may not. For you, it might be good, but but it just doesn't work for us. Best advice? Oh, I, I think the best advice is probably, like I was saying before, I think is being really open to feedback and trying to take it all in and think of feedback as more of a gift than anything else, even though it hurts when you first hear it. But it's, I think it's incredibly important. If you, I think if you if you have blinders on it and you're not open. To, to paying attention to what's really going on, which is sometimes really hard, yet it can lead to disaster. Allie Webb, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wanted to say Allie Webb with the good hair. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Occupational hazard. The best hair. Thank, thank you, you, Allie. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate us, tell your friends. And if there's someone you think we should have on the show, let me know. You can tweet me at Rebecca Jarvis. And of course, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat. And special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. It is a big one. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Bancardo, Steve Jones, Erica Scott, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis.
Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.